Uh, yes. Tell me when we're, we're live, so I don't swear. Yeah, <laughs> hey, you're good. This is a this is a chill podcast. You know, you're good. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. You said he met you at Mohegan Sun uh, a few years back at a charity event. So, uh, you know, you said it was unreal. So when I told him I got the opportunity to talk to you today, you know, he was pretty hyped. So this is pretty cool. All right. Sweet. Um, thank thank yeah, you. So, Jim McMahon here. Uh, we are on for Wild Chat Sports Podcast. The legend himself, the GOAT, uh, joins us. Uh, so how how we doing, man? Doing great, my man. Just sitting out here in the heat in Arizona. We're uh, way too early to be over 100 degrees, but yeah. I'll take it. So, so has it been like that this whole week? Has it been uh... – uh, it started getting hot about five days ago. It went it went from the seventies right to the hundreds. We did, we skipped the eighties. Yeah, yeah. Hey, skipped the eighties. Had a couple of days of nineties. Now it's over hundred. So uh, we probably won't see anything less than that until uh, next October. Man, I'm I'm jealous, man. You know, we whenever we crack sixty here in New England, we're we're running around. So we're we're taking the most of it. So. Uh, yeah. Well, I I did 28 years in Chicago. I know about cold. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. This is so much nicer on the body. Yeah, no, I bet, man. I bet. Um, yeah, so, I mean, how about you talk to us about, like, how you got started playing football? You know, how did you grow a passion for the game? Well, I started uh, organized football when I was 10 years old. Back in California, that's where I grew up in San Jose. Um yeah, I started organized baseball at nine, and that's that was my first love. I always wanted to be play baseball, mm. uh, but I got into football at, at ten, and uh, I was always, you know, one of the smaller kids as far as weight goes. So I was, I was always, and the the league was called the Police Athletic League, and so uh, every year you go into weigh in, you know, you got cops everywhere, and uh, yeah. <laughs> I always had rocks in my pocket, so I'd be heavy enough to play for play with the older kids. I didn't want to play with the younger kids, so yeah. <laughs> I had to cheat a little bit to get into that league. But uh, you know, it worked out. I, I always enjoyed playing with the the better guys and than the, the guys my age or smaller. So yeah, that's how I started, and uh, you know, I continued on through high school. Uh, I played uh, you know played football, basketball, and baseball in high school, and when I was going to college. Uh, I told the, the colleges I was attending, I said, look, I want to, I want to be able to play both sports. And of all the schools that I went to, you know, I went back to Nebraska and Oklahoma state, you know, some of the bigger schools back then. And uh, none of them said that I could play both sports mm -hmm. other than there was two schools, Brigham Young and uh, uh, Nevada, Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And Nevada, Las Vegas happened to be my last recruiting trip. And when I came home from that, I told my dad, I said, hey, I'm going to Vegas. They said I could play both sports. I'll have a great time. And my dad said, uh, no, it's not a big enough school, son. And I, said, I said, pops, listen, listen to what, listen to what they just offered me. You know, I, I got offered a house, car, money, easy job at the casino. Hell, you know, who knows? I could have been Steve Wynn. Yeah. <laughs> or, or dead from the hookers or the strippers, you know, who knows? <laughs> Yeah. But uh, ended up ended up at Brigham Young, and and uh, I did play baseball my first year, my freshman year, uh, the first spring. I played uh, played about ten games. I was playing in the outfield, but I couldn't. Uh, they didn't t say that I could get out of spring football practice, so I would play a game of a doubleheader, 
playing in the outfield is, is and throwing the ball from the outfield is, is a hell of a lot different than than throwing it from the pocket uh, of football. So <clears throat> I'd play a game with doubleheader, have to run down this huge hill, change uniforms, and go to football practice in the spring. And so that lasted for about 10 games. And I said, you know what? I can't keep doing this. I got to make a decision. And since football was my scholarship, um, I decided to just stick with football. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's how, that's how it started. And that's, you know, from there on to the pros. So that's crazy, man. That's crazy. So you, uh, so is, what was like your social life like at, uh, you know, Brigham Young, you know, how were you able to balance football, academics, and, you know, you get, were you able to go to parties and stuff like that? Or No, there's no parties there. Um, there's no, there's no co-ed dorms. There's no, uh, there wasn't a lot of fun. You know, for for a kid where I grew up in San Jose, California, and then to have to, to move to Utah, uh, my junior year in high school actually moved to Utah. So mm -hmm. I got a taste of, a little bit of a taste of what, you know, the Mormon life was about. Um, it wasn't for me. Um, we didn't even know, my brothers and sisters and I didn't even know my mother was Mormon. Right. And she, she started going to the Mormon church when we moved to Utah. And we're like, yeah, what's going on? And then we finally realized the story that, you know, when my parents got married, they, they had to sign a paper saying you're going to raise your kids a certain religion. And my dad said, well, they're going to be Catholic. So that's yeah. how I was raised. Yeah. So then going to uh, uh, Utah for those first two years of or my last two years of high school, so I got a little taste of, you know, what what's going to go on. But I, I didn't didn't realize <laughs> that uh, Provo, Utah is a lot different than the rest of the state. I mean, it's, yeah. it's pretty, it's very, very conservative actually. And yeah. it was, uh, it wasn't what college life was supposed to be like, you know, according to you know everybody I've ever talked to that they went to any, any place else. Mm. Uh, it was just, it just strange. I mean, athletics were great. Uh, we had great facilities, great coaches. Uh, but just the, the social life and uh, school was a, a lot different than I'm sure anywhere else in the country. Yeah, no. So you, I'm assuming like all your focus was on football at that time, right? Because there was probably not that not much to do, you know, because they locked down the and everything. Right. There was there was nothing, uh, really nothing, nothing going on unless you did it yourself, which yeah. uh, we were accused of doing a few times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I feel that, man. Um, yeah. So I mean, you were a punter initially at you know Brigham Young. Uh, you know, did you want to play QB or did you feel like you had to after, uh, I believe it was Wilson that got injured, right? Um, uh, my freshman year, our starter was Gifford Nielsen, who was a senior. Mark Wilson was a sophomore at the time. And the only reason I made the varsity squad was because I could kick the ball. And I was, I was, in, I was the third team QB my freshman year. But at Brigham Young, you know, unless you're the starter, you don't get any reps. So... I, I was concentrating on kicking the ball that first year. Uh, and then my, the second year, um, Mark Wilson and I split time. Uh, that was, that was rough on both of us, actually, you know, Mark, Mark's a great guy, he had a great career there. Uh, and we had a different coach that year too. So it was, it was, it was really weird for all of us concerned, yeah, but we ended up splitting time. I ended up being, I made a, all conference that year as a sophomore. I think it was the first sophomore quarterback to, to win that award. And then uh, my next year, which would have been my junior year, I get redshirted. You know, I've already played two years and then I get redshirted. 
and so Mark Mark played his senior year, finished out, went eleven and zero, and uh, ended up being drafted by the Raiders. And so the I, I got to play my final two years. Uh, Steve Young was there with me my final two years as my backup, and uh, ended up finally winning some bowl games at BYU. So it was nice to to be a part of that. Yeah. Did Did you ever feel like was that ever like competition between you and Steve Young for that starting position at BYU? <laughs> Feel like yeah, no. yeah. No, there was no competition at all. Really, yeah. I mean, they they tried to make Steve a safety his first his first year. Uh, he he's he's he was a great athlete, and uh, he was he was having trouble, I guess, picking up the, our offense, which I thought was pretty simple. Mm. But uh, eventually, he got it, and look where he's at now. I mean, he had a hell of a career. You know, he yeah. you know he came in, filled in for me when I got hurt, and. And did well, and uh, and then won a hell of a lot of ball games after I left. So, yeah. uh, I know he. I've heard some interviews with him. Credit, or he said he he learned how to throw by watching me. And uh, so I, I guess I helped him a little bit. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely, man, definitely. I mean, you guys both had a uh, pretty awesome careers, I'd say. So worked out for both you guys. So, um, you know, that's another thing I want to talk about. You know, because the following year you get drafted by. The Chicago Bears, um, fifth overall, first round, of course. Um, you know what? What do you remember? You know that night when you got drafted. You know what? What was what was going on through your head when they called your name? Well, I I really didn't know I was going to go to Chicago. Uh, all indications were at the time that I was going to be drafted by the Baltimore Colts, who were drafting right just before Chicago. You know, I had been to Baltimore. I talked to the coaches. Um, I think it, I think it was Frank Cush at that time, and then Ursay uh, uh, was the owner, and um, I had lunch at Johnny Unitas's restaurant with Johnny, and he said, "Oh, you're gonna love Baltimore, this and that." So I, all indications were I was going there, mm. and then a couple days before the draft, uh, my agent had told me, "He said, look, they can't sign uh, one of their premier running backs. I think it was Curtis Dickey at the time," mm. and they said. He told the Colts, he said, look, you can't even sign Curtis Dickey. Don't even bother drafting Jim because you will never sign him. And so that's how that ended up. You know, Baltimore passed on me and then I ended up in Chicago, the next pick. So, And the only thing I knew about Chicago were my parents had, had met there in the service back in the 50s. Uh, they were both in the Army. And uh, my older brother was actually born in Chicago. Mm. That's the only thing I knew about Chicago other than uh, the, the movie Brian song. I remember that movie. Yeah. Other than that, I had I had no idea about Chicago. That's crazy. And just like that, you know, you, you didn't even know. You know, it, it was destiny from there, man. That's crazy. Um, well, yeah. I guess my name in Irish something means bear, so I guess yeah. it was meant to be. Yeah. No, I, I feel that, man. So, like, what was what was that like? That remember, like, the first conversation you had, like, when you were. You know, at practice, like, what was your first conversation with, like, Walter Payton or uh, Coach Mike, D Mike Dicka? What, what were those conversations like? Well, I, I met Dicka uh, actually the, the night I got drafted because I ended up flying to Chicago that, that night. Uh, ended up at the, the Bears facility. And as I was getting out of the limousine, all the press was there. And Coach Dicka happened, happened to be walking into the building. And as I got out of the limousine, I had a beer in my hand. So I, I don't know if that was a good first impression or not. But 
I had just taken a three-hour flight and a 45-minute limo ride, and there was beer there, so why, why not have one? Yeah. wasn't like I was 18. You know, I was right. 22 years old. Yeah, yeah, no, that's – so. You were so just... I don't know if I impressed him or not with that. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm trying to think the first time I met Walter. It had to have been at a meeting or practice because uh, you know, he wasn't around that uh, draft day for sure. A draft night but uh yeah i can't it was probably at the first meeting or the first practice I, yeah and i really don't don't remember much of it yeah so with the uh yeah because so when you had the beer was it was just like <laughs> out of the limousine was it, yeah they had there was beer in the limousine so yeah, they, why not? yeah i had a couple on the ride and then there was a few left so i had those in my hand too when i got out of the car yeah <laughs> So the press made a big stink about that, but yeah, that, that, yeah, that's stupid. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's crazy. Yeah, I like beer. I still like beer. So. Yeah, I mean, what, what's your favorite? What's your go-to? Well, right now it's Coors Lights. I've been drinking Coors that for, for years now. Yeah, I've, I've sampled pretty much everything on the market, but uh, yeah, Coors uh, Coors has been good to me. So yeah, what do, what do you think of uh, Lining Kugels, Summer Shandies? I uh, don't believe I've ever had one of those. Really? That, you got to try those. Those are good. That, that's, that's, <laughs> a summer shandy. Summer okay. shandy, lining kugels. So fire. That, that's got to be the good. All right, I'll give that a go. All right, all right. You got to let me know. You got to give me a rating on it, too. You got you to gotta let me know what you think. They're pretty fire. I don't know. But, okay. Yeah, sweet. Um, So, overall, uh, you know, you had, you know, a huge – personality on and off the field what were your uh what were your teammates like initial reactions when they first met you or you know whether they were on the team or um you know players outside of the Chicago Bears like what what was everyone's first impressions when when they first you know saw you know your polarizing personality coming into the league well I think I was I had a few uh guys that I knew that were on the team already <clears throat> they were coming into their second year. So that, that was uh, helped me out. Easy transition. You know, they, they kind of let the other guys know what I was about. And, um, you know, I never really had any problems with my teammates. And, uh, you know, when you, when you win things, you know, whatever you do, I, I would, I would tell them, whatever you do off the field really doesn't matter as long as you win on Sunday. And uh, I think they finally figured that out. Yeah, no, I said, you know, I, I, I did a lot of things just to amuse myself because you, you show up to work at eight o'clock in the morning, you get home about six every night. It's not like, you know, today where they don't wear pads and they don't do it. You know, I don't even know what they do at practice. Right. You know, we, we had three, three and a half hour practices with pads on every day, you know, three days a week. And we had, we'd have goal, uh, short yardage and goal line was live scrimmage on every Friday. I mean, we did crazy things for, you know, for the time, or basically that was pretty much what football was. Everybody kind of practiced like that. I don't know if they went live, but, uh, you know, we had, we had Buddy Ryan and we had Mike Dicka. They both, they both, uh, you know, were very prideful and, and uh, stubborn and they didn't want to give a, give an inch. So, you know, there was no, uh, what do you call it? Uh, buddy, buddy, uh, segments during practice i mean everything was live right and if you weren't ready to get hit boy you were uh you were going to be in a lot of trouble 
Right. Yeah. So Sundays, Sundays were actually the easy the easy days for us because after going against our defense for a week, I mean, Sundays was pretty easy. Yeah. No. Do you uh, you know, what was like one conversation with uh, Coach uh, Dick uh, that you remember? You know, did you guys ever? Uh, like get into it in practice? Do you guys argue about something or is there anything you remember? Any conversations you had with them? Well, it wasn't, we didn't, we didn't argue much in practice, but during games, yeah, we had a lot of arguments. But, uh, you know, Mike would send in plays and sometimes I'd call him, sometimes I wouldn't, or, or I would change the play at the line of scrimmage and he would get a little upset. But that's how I was coached in college. If you, if you see something that you can exploit on the defense, then you do it. Or you don't run into a brick wall. If you got nine guys on one side of the field, which we saw a lot my, my first couple of years in the league, because all we did was run Walter. I mean, everybody knew it. Right. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I mean, I, I, my, I remember my first start. It was against the Detroit Lions. And we were notorious. On third and long, we're going to run sweep with Walter. And sure enough, I get to the line of scrimmage, call the sweep in the huddle, get to the line of scrimmage. There's, there's literally nine guys on that side of the field waiting for the sweep. And so I called just a simple off-tackle play to the fullback to go in the other way. And our left guard, I remember, looked up at me because it, the play was not in the game plan that week for some odd reason. But it's a play you run a thousand times in practice. Everybody knows the play. And my left guard, who was a nine-year veteran, looked up at me and said, it's 34. What the hell is 34? And I said, we're running right over your fat ass. Block him. So the defense thought we were just going crazy, you know, just trying to fool him or something, I guess. But uh, we ran the play. It was third and seven, I remember. I think, we got, I think we got eight yards or nine yards or so. We got a first down. And so the guard grabs me as we're going back to the huddle and says, do you have any more surprises for me? And I said, just keep your ears open. I said, I'm not, I don't, I'm not running into a brick wall. I guess people didn't change the play before I got there or something. I don't know. Yeah. But then before, that, before I got back in the huddle, Walter grabbed me and says, keep doing what you're doing. You're making us better. He goes, I don't want to run into that either. <laughs> you know, so I said, look, we're on the same page there. And so you know, we never had a problem. Walter was a great teammate. Uh, never said, give me the ball. You know, no matter what the situation was, he, you know, he just did his job. And he did his better, you know, better than anybody I've ever seen. He was a great player. Did you, uh, did you hang out with him a lot, you know, off the field? You know, do you guys, you know, what, what uh, did you, like, you know, if it wasn't Walter, who did you hang out with a lot off the field? It was mostly my offensive lineman. Mm. Had, a, had a great relationship everywhere I went with my offensive lineman. You have to. I mean, those guys, if those guys don't do their job, you can't do your job. And so I, I understand that, I, you know, I always uh, would try to praise them whenever I could. And, uh, you know, without those guys, you're nothing. So, yeah. yeah, but Walter was, he was a pretty private guy. Other, I think one night a week, the running backs would all go out. Uh, the same with, uh, I would go out on Thursday nights with my offensive lineman and, and uh, we'd have a good time. And I think Dick had finally heard about our little Thursday night affairs. And that's when the, the Friday practices really got, really got rough. When, if it wasn't a live session, it was the running afterwards. But he, he made sure that uh, he ran out all the fun we had on Thursday night. Yeah, so he, uh, he wasn't too hyped. Did he out with you guys? Like, did you ever go out with uh, – did he ever, you know, hit the clubs or something with you guys or no? 
Who, Ditka? Ditka, yeah. You, what, no. After your no, career, no. or like, <laughs> you know, did you have? Uh, I still, uh, you know, he, he's involved in the Gridiron Greats, and um, I still do a lot with them. I see him a lot. Every time I'm in Chicago, I usually see him. I, I like to eat at his restaurant. Food's really good there. So, you know, we, uh, I would have loved to play with him. I, I told him this many times when we were fighting. I said, you know what? I think if you would have been in my huddle, you'd have a different opinion of me. But uh, he always thought I did things to make him mad. And I said, look, I'm just trying to win ball games. If that makes you mad, then, you know, that's, that's not my problem. Yeah, no. I mean, you know, did you guys, like, get along, you know, especially after 1985, you know, Super Bowl win against the Pats? You know, like, did he, did he celebrate with you guys? You know, was that when he was like, okay, you know what, like, you know, we're good, you know? No, we uh, – it actually got harder and, and worse on us. And it was uh, – <clears throat> Dick, Dick became bigger than life. I mean, bigger than everybody else. And, you know, he was doing – what commercial wasn't he doing at the time? You know, he, he was, uh, he was every, every time he turned the channel, he was on something. And then he, he kind of came down on the players about us doing commercials. Cause a lot of us, you know, we had that opportunity as well. You know, pretty much everybody had a radio show or a TV show or a commercial or this and that. I mean, I think we, uh, I think we might've been the first team that had pretty much everybody doing something out, out in the public. Yeah. So, like, you know, going back to the, like, the Super Bowl against the Patriots, it's tough for me, man. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Pats fan, so it's tough. It's, it's tough for me to say this, but hey, – You guys have done pretty well the last uh, 15 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, you were 0, 0 for 2 until I retired, though. Yeah, I know, man. It's, it's I was with the pack when we beat you guys. I that know. Was, that was pretty strange now. 11 yeah. years later, on the same day, in the same field – and playing the same opponent. That was, that was a little deja vu. Yeah. And uh, I was glad, I was glad Brett had to do all that work. Cause I was just kind of glad to get in and out of New Orleans without being shot after, after <laughs> the, after the bears fiasco. Yeah. Do, do you, um, do you remember like mentoring Brett? Like, did you, did you mentor him throughout that season or, you know, what conversations you have with him from Green Bay? Well, I, I, Early begin probably during training camp, I would I was talking to him about it. I said, you know what, this when I noticed when the Super Bowl was, I said, hey, the Super Bowl is on the same day that it was when we played eleven years ago. Right. I said, this team is it reminds me a lot of that Chicago team. You know, we had lost the championship game the year before, mm. uh, and then come back and and won it. And I said, this is what this is what happened to us last year. We lost the NFC Championship. I said. You know, this 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 year's looking just like that that one. And it ended up being that way. Yeah. But who know you know, I, I would have never guessed we we're gonna play this the New England Patriots again. And that, yeah. that was just that was a little bit too much. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad to get a win, gotta get a nice ring from the Packers, and then uh, I retired right after that. You know, I I promised my oldest daughter at the time, I said, When you get to high school, I'll quit football and, and we'll live here in Chicago. You guys just stay here and finish out your high school career in one place because I like I said earlier I, I moved halfway through my high school and that that sucked and uh, I didn't want to have to because my kids have been going with me wherever I played they would they would move there for the first four months of the season and then uh, go home at Christmas break 
and they go to go to their regular school after Christmas. So they they were tired of moving, and uh, so I decided, okay, at 37, I, I I could have played a couple more years for sure. I think I was feeling pretty good. I hadn't had to play for uh, about three years. Right. I was just backing up for about three years, so I played sparingly here and there. But so my body was feeling really good, and uh, but I decided that you know that was enough. I got I got a ring from two oldest teams in the league, and and uh, had a great time. Played 15 years. Played for a lot of great teams, a lot of great coaches, a lot of bad coaches. Right. Uh, and your boy in there, New England's one of them. <laughs> Who? Belichick. Belichick, really? I I was with Belichick in Cleveland in '95. Yeah, that. So you, that wasn't good. <laughs> no, it wasn't good. He looked me right in the eye and lied to me. So. Uh, the story was at the end of training camp, we had, it was Vinny Testaverde, myself, and they had just drafted a kid from uh, Georgia. Uh, what the hell was his name? Started with a Z, I think. Z Zyre, Eric Zyre. Anyway, um, at the end of camp, Bill comes to me and says, look, we're going to have to release you. We have too many, you know, we have too many guys that are hurt. We need roster spots. And I was thinking, you know, that's cool. I, I really didn't want to be in Cleveland. Mm. And, um, and it was my 12th year, and I was thinking about retiring then. But he says, look, we really, we really need you. And I said, well, what are you talking about? And I said, if, I, if you need me, I, if I'm going to be here, I have to move my family here. I have to find a, a hockey team for my sons. Uh, you know, that, it's not just me that, that, that you know, that, that has to do, do something here. And he says, no, no, we're going to take care of you. This is what he told me face to face. I said, what do you mean take care of me? And he says, no, we're going to, we're going to pay you while you sit out. And I, I immediately, I called my attorney. I said, Hey, can I trust this guy? He just told me, he said, I'll probably only have to sit out one or two weeks before they, you know, all these guys that were hurt, they were going to get them healthy. And then, so they could cut them. And so my attorney says, well, you got to take the man at his word. <clears throat> so I did. I moved my family found a house, moved my family, found a hockey team. And I figured this guy's going to, you know, own up to his work. So the first, first week goes by, I called in on Friday for my check. I got the runaround. All right. So the next week I called back on Friday, I got the runaround again. I'm sitting in Cleveland for seven weeks doing nothing. You know, I had already moved my family. So I'm, I'm thinking, all right, eventually it's going to happen. I could play a lot of golf at Firestone, which was nice. <clears throat> I was working out at some local gym. I mean, I couldn't even go to the facility. And uh, so eventually they hired me back. I think it was week, week number eight. So the next three games I got addressed, got my checks. So they still owe me seven game checks. And so we had just finished. This is a Monday this happened now. We just played the Packers. And Andy Reid was on the Packers staff, who's now the head coach at uh, Kansas City. Andy was my left tackle in college, so I've known him forever. And he's in his Green Bay stuff. I'm in my Cleveland stuff. We're playing catch on the 50-yard line in, in the pregame warm-ups. And he told me, he said, hey, man, you should have came here this year. we got a pretty good team. And I said, yeah, I, I should have because I hate it here. You know, this, this is not working out really well. I said, don't be surprised if I'm available soon. And he's like, what? I said, just check the waiver wire the next couple of weeks. So the very next day, uh, 
we're sitting in the quarterback meeting. It's just three of us, three quarterbacks and the, and the coach. And I get up to go to the restroom. And here, here come down the hall um, the general manager who's been giving me the runaround about those seven game checks for the last 10 weeks, right? So I, I've had it up to here. And I said, I said, look, dude, I, I, need, my, I need the money. I said, my, my wife was just involved in an accident. I don't have to deal with insurance. I said, I, I need my cash. And he says, looks at me and he gives me a smart ass answer. He says, well, maybe we'll pay you. Maybe we won't. And I lost it on the guy. <laughs> I kind of grabbed him by his neck and threw him up against the wall. And I said, you're going to pay me my money. And then I realized what I was doing. So I kind of looked around to see if there's anybody in the hall. And they weren't. So I whacked him again. And I walked into the training room, called my attorney. I said, you better get me cut right now. I said, I'm going to kill this guy. And he said, what happened? I said, just get me cut. And so he called me back two minutes later. He said, all right, they'll release you. That's what you want. I said, perfect. So then I walked back into the QB meeting. This all happened within 10 minutes, right? And I just said, hey, boys, I'll see you all later. And they go, what? What are you doing? I said, no, I'm out of here. So I just walked out. And the guy says, hey, have you talked to Bill? And I said, you can tell Bill to kiss my ass, that lying piece of shit. And I walked out. I never, never seen him again, never talked to him again. Oh, actually, I did. I saw him at the Super Bowl. He was, yeah. at, he was down there uh, at the Super Bowl when I was with the Packers. And I'm, I'm underneath the goalpost, pregame warm-up, just catching kicks and stuff. And I hear him walk by because I had my sunglasses on because it was pretty bright in there. He said, oh, pretty bright in here, huh? And I just kind of looked at him, didn't say a word, just – uh, I lost all, res all respect for a man who just looks, looks right at your line. But I, I'm not the first guy who's done it to, or the last. So, so you never, never got the paychecks? Never, never got the paychecks. Wow. And, yeah. wow, and I, could, I, could, I could use that right now during this COVID stuff. Right, yeah. I'm out here doing manual labor that I could, I could be paying for. But. Yeah, no, yeah. So, like, did Belichick, like, did it seem like he wanted to talk to you at that Super Bowl? Or were you just like – I just don't want any, like, was he trying no, to, he, he was just making a smart ass comment when he walked uh, by yeah. because he would, he wouldn't let me wear my sunglasses on the sidelines when I was in Cleveland. Yeah. Jeez. Even yeah. when I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the game, nothing, you know, and he knows I got a bad eye, but he just. Right. And, and you haven't talked to him since. Nope. Wow. Don't want to. That's crazy. That, yeah, no, that's, man, that's unfortunate. That's, uh, I mean, well, it's like I said, I'm not the first guy that that's happened to, and it won't be the last. So, yeah. Do you know who else that happened to or? Yeah. A few teammates of mine in Cleveland for sure. I don't know about anybody else. I, you know, I'll let them, if they want to, yeah, yeah, yeah. they want to rat them out, they can, but you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't really care. Yeah. The guy tell, tells you he's going to pay you and then you, then you, you know, why would I move my family to Cleveland? for seven weeks, you know, for, for right. nothing. Right. Just, I mean, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. So if he tells, if he tells you I'm lying, you can tell him he's full of shit. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's a crazy story. I'm sorry that happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, man, you had a great career. I mean, two, you're two time Super Bowl champ. Um, you know, as I mentioned, 1985, I mean, that was a crazy year for you as well. Um, you know, you beat the Patriots. It's tough for me to say. Um, but, uh, you know, take us through like that game day or media day, um, you know, cause you had a huge game. You were the first player in NFL history to rush for, to have two, sorry, 
first QB in NFL history to have two rushing touchdowns. Um, you know, what do you remember from, you know, your Super Bowl experience, you know, up to that weekend? Well, I remember the first uh, three days was great. I think we got in there on a Monday and we had no curfew all week. So we took full advantage of Bourbon Street for uh, the first three nights. And uh, I remember on Thursday morning, I, and, I, and I'd been doing all the press. I'd talked to the press up to this point every day, did, did my media obligations. And then uh, Thursday morning, <clears throat> I remember I get woke. The phone rings really early in the morning. And it was a fan. It was an irate fan cussing me out, saying, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill you." This and that. And I'm so I, I hung up. A couple minutes later, and phone rings again. It's somebody else cussing me out. I'm like, and my roommate's like, "What's going on?" I said, "I don't know, but somebody's pissed off at me for something." So I ended up getting up, going down to the team breakfast. Our general, I'm standing there in the food line. Our general manager walks up to me. All he says was, "Oh, you really did it this time." and just kept walking. So I still don't know what the hell I did, right? Yeah. So now Dick walks up to me in the food line and he says, all right, did you say that? And I said, Mike, look, I said, I got woken up this morning. I said, Jerry's pissed. I said, what, what did I do? And he says, I heard you were on a radio show and you called all the women of New Orleans sluts and the men stupid and this and this and that. And I said, are you out of your mind? I said, when was this radio? He said, <laughs> a radio show. He said, this morning at six o'clock. And I said, Mike, I said, I didn't get back here till five. And I didn't wake up until that, that uh, fan woke me up, you know, yeah. 10 minutes ago. So I, don't, I said, I don't know where this is coming from, but I didn't say that. I said, even if I thought it, I wouldn't say that to a reporter. And so the rest of the week, I was getting death threats. Uh, there was women picketing our hotel. Guys didn't want to stand by me at practice because we practiced at the old Saints facility, which was right behind an apartment complex, wide open field. Right. And so I had to wear a different jersey number. I mean, I, it was just – I really don't remember much of the game because all I was thinking about is I'm going to get shot out of here. Right. I saw those crazy movies, Black Sunday and, you know, yeah. all these all these nut job movies. Yeah. So, uh, this was Super Bowl. And it's, yeah, it was a couple of days before the game. And so all I remember was when the, when the game ended and that gun sounded, I was just glad, I, you know, I looked down to see if there was any blood on me. Cause I already thought somebody shot me. I just took off for the locker room. I didn't celebrate. I just ran to the locker room and said, look, get me, get me the hell out of New Orleans. Right. Jesus. So it wasn't the experience of, other than the, the winning the game. I mean, it wasn't the experience that I was, you know, hoping for. Were you able to celebrate? At, I mean, at least after that, after that big dub or, I mean, or were you just like, so like freaked out after, you know, your experience in New Orleans? No, I remember uh, there was a team, it was supposed to be a team party at the hotel after the game. And uh, I remember a couple of, a couple of guys and I went down, we we're going to go to the party. And as we walked in, we didn't, we didn't see anybody we recognized. Right. I and mean, it was, it was all the owners, friends and cronies and, and uh, so we just turned around and walked back out. We went up to the uh, – I actually grabbed a – you know, they had the, the, the bars, how they do at the hotels. You have yeah, those yeah. Uh, yeah. bar stations. Yeah. So there was, a, there was a, uh, a tray full of beer there or a trolley or whatever it was. 
And I just took that up to our floor. And there was, we had guys probably, probably 10, 15 guys just sitting outside in the hallway with those beers, just, you know, amongst ourselves. That's how we celebrated that night. Or that's how I did with, I don't know, yeah. 10 guys. Jeez. Yeah, that's pretty neat. You know, like you, you just think of, you know, other Super Bowl celebrations, you know, you see the cameras and everything, but it sounds like it was pretty low key, you know. Of, you know, so we we so I celebrated Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of that yeah. week. So I had I'd had plenty. Yeah. <laughs> did Dicka did, didn't go out? He didn't celebrate with you? I don't I don't know what he did. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. So uh yeah, another like crazy uh, iconic uh moment was the uh when you wore the Adidas headband. Um you know, I guess like you got fined for it, you know, for wearing the Adidas headband. You know, Pete Rosell wasn't you know, too happy. Um, and then the next week you, you wore the headband and, and you wrote Roselle on it. That was, that was a savage move. Uh, what, what did you, was he mad at you? Was anyone in the bears organization mad at you when, when you wrote Roselle on that headband? No, they didn't say anything. They, uh, what pissed me off is I'd been wearing that headband for three years. Nobody said anything. And now that we're in the playoffs and we're in the Super Bowl. They made a big stink about it. At the time, Adidas wasn't paying the NFL. That's that, that's the well, the big stink was. So they were telling me that I was giving them free advertising, and I said I've been giving them free advertising for three years. You haven't said a word. And so it was very, uh, you know, I I didn't think it was right. And so when they fined me the five grand for the for the uh, divisional game. Um, I'm thinking, well, I, I don't make enough to pay that five grand. I, you know, I don't, <clears throat> I don't know what they're going to find me this week if I, if I wear it again. And so I decided, hell, I'll just put Roselle on there and see what happens. And he didn't find me. He actually phoned me and thanked me for the free advertising. <laughs> so then back then there was, there was two weeks be between the championship game and the Super Bowl. I don't know if it still is or not, but. So I had two weeks before that game. So I, for some reason, I got a hold of the, the, the uh, rule book, NFL rule book, and I'm going through this thing. And I can't find anything in there that says why they, 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 they were able to find me, that five grand. So I, I hatched a plan. I said, you know what, I'm going to wear the Adidas one because they offered me a good chunk of change to wear it. I said, I, said, I don't know if it's going to be on my head, but you'll, you'll be able to see it. And so... I got sent hundreds and hundreds of, of headbands from people all over the country. Just some of them are just their names on them, you know, Fred, Joe, you know, whatever it was. But I decided I was going to wear uh, all charities. I said, if they, if they find me for wearing charities, they're going to look like idiots. So I started off, I think the first one I had on was the juvenile diabetes foundation. My, uh, my attorney's son uh, had, had diabetes. So I wore that for him. And then every series, I would come out and my, my uh, equipment guy had a different one. I had Children's Miracle Network. I, said, I, I can't even remember all the ones I had. POW, MIA. Uh, I think the last one I ended up, I had on was Pluto. And that was just a reference to a buddy of mine that I played uh, college ball with who happened to be on the Bears roster uh, a year earlier, but they had found a brain tumor. And he had just gone through his second brain surgery just before, you know, probably about a week before the game. So I, I put that on there, letting him know that I was thinking about him and, you know, that 
press made a big stink about that too. But you know, that's, that's how that came about. And uh, I didn't get, and the crazy thing is I didn't get fined for the Adidas one. Pre-game warm-up, I had the head referee chasing me around saying, I cannot let you on the field with that, help, that headband on. I said, I know, I know. And so we get through all that. Then it's the, the national anthem. You know, Walter's standing here, myself, head referee. As soon as the anthem's over, I go to put my helmet on, and the ref says, I can't let you on the field. And I looked at him, and I pulled it down around my neck. And I said, I know, but you can't do nothing about this. And he looked at me and laughed. He says, yeah, you're right. And so I, I put the charity on my head and, and, and went out and played. And every picture that you see me at, at the Super Bowl, you can see that headband around my neck pretty clearly. So I ended up getting paid by Adidas. I didn't get fined. I made, I made them look like idiots. So uh, I said, Pete, you know, this is your fault. You made a big stink about nothing. I mean, this headband is nothing. The only reason I wear the headband is to keep skin on my forehead. You know, when you take your helmet off and on, as much as we do, I mean, it just, your, your head's pretty raw. And that's the only reason I ever started wearing a headband. I didn't care about what was on it. But they made a stink about it and I ended up getting paid for it. So hell with them. Yeah. No, honestly. Yeah. That was, yeah. So Ditka wasn't frustrated when you wrote Roselle on the headband. Like no, none of your teammates were like, come on, man. Like, you know, that, that might be, you know, that might not be good, you know, but no one. Really I don't, I don't remember anybody complaining. Wow. I think they a lot of them laughed. So you're going to get a big fine now. Yeah. But. Did, did Walter do it? Did you try to talk Walter into doing that? You know, whether it was the charities on the, on the headbands or. Well, Walter, Walter had worn his, I think it was ruse. The one that he used to wear. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think so. for kangaroos. Mm. I don't know. I don't think, I don't remember him getting fined, but that's probably because kangaroos might've been paying the NFL. Mm. Yeah. No, that's. Because he didn't, he never said anything about it. Right. So did you, did you, you know, did you and Roselle ever get along after that situation? Did you guys ever talk or what was the last time you talked? Yeah, we talked after the Super Bowl and we discussed that. Yeah. Yeah, I thought he did, I thought he was great. He did a great job. Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome, man. Uh, yeah, I guess just, uh, you know, one more question, I guess. More questions because I know uh, you, you're yeah I got I I've got about two minutes but. yeah uh, what would you say to your younger self like would you do everything else the same you know looking back at it uh probably I wouldn't I wouldn't have played as much as I did I, I missed a lot of games mm -hmm. but I I played a lot of games where I shouldn't have played mm -hmm. and that just compounded the problem had I gotten you know I. Early on, my in 1984, I, I broke my throwing hand, mm. broke a bone in my throwing hand, and uh, ended up they ended up shoot just shooting it for six six more games. And I couldn't throw a spiral. I couldn't feel the ball, and they, everybody was wondering why I couldn't throw a spiral. I said because I can't feel the football. My hands broke, but they didn't want anybody to know that you were hurt. So, and then when I went through uh, with my shoulder in 1986, I dislocated my shoulder again and my throwing shoulder. And it was literally coming in and out of the socket at will. I mean, I'd move my arm, it'd pop out. And they kept telling me I was faking it. There was nothing wrong with it. And I went and saw a real doctor out in L.A., Frank Job, And he, he said within five minutes it was coming out of the socket. And I said, that's what I've been telling these people. And so he had to he opened it up and did surgery. And it was amazing how he, he pieced that thing back together. But 
it lasted another eight years. So that's awesome. I mean, you know, you had an awesome career, man. You're a legend. Appreciate you taking the time. Two time Super Bowl champ, Jim McMahon. Thanks so much, man. Uh, you know, this was unreal and uh, wish you the best during this crazy time. And you got to try the lining kugels. I'm holding you to it. All right, brother. Summer Shandy. All right. Summer Shandy. Hey, that's something to look out for. If you got to give me a review. If you don't like it, all good. But I don't know. It's, it's worth a try. You're in quarantine. Might as well, right? All right. I'll text you and let you know. All right. Have a good one, man. Appreciate right, it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Peace. From the sweet life of Zach and Cody and the sweet life on... Drake Bell here. It's your girl Camille Kostek. Shuma Gavin in the house. Shoe nice again. Lay Howard from the Los Angeles Lakers. This is CeeLo Green. To follow at Wild Chat Sports. Wild Chat Sports. Wild Chat Sports. Wild Chat Sports. If you Wild Chat Sports. Wild Chat Sports. Peace. Wild Chat Sports, man. Check it out. Love. It.